Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here with us. Emmanuel, I thank you that you are God with us. Lord, would you help me to just decrease so that your spirit in me would increase? And would you help each person who's listening to hear exactly what it is that your Holy Spirit would say to them? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For as long as I can remember, autumn has been my favorite, favorite season. For me, autumn means the beginning of the best four months out of the entire year. The whole thing kicks off with my little sister's birthday. Quite literally, her birthday often falls on the first official day of fall. Two days later, it's my birthday. And a week after that, my other little sister's birthday. And the day after her birthday, my wedding anniversary. It's a whole lot of celebrating crammed into just the first two weeks of fall. The rest of fall is just packed with all other kinds of celebrations, football, games, and tailgating, marching band, if your family's like my family. I love everything about the fall. There's Halloween parties and Thanksgiving. There's cooler weather, crockpots full of chili, hot apple cider, nights around fire pits, that sort of thing. You get the picture. The vibrant colors of fall and leaves that just float through the air like confetti. I love it all. Fall in the Midwest is like one big party. And for me, it's nothing short of magical. That's why it's my favorite season. And usually, I can hardly contain my excitement the closer we get to September. But last year was markedly different. As August was winding down and autumn was approaching, an unfamiliar feeling came over me. Instead of feeling excited for all my favorite fall stuff, I felt a sense of dread. It was unfamiliar, unfamiliar to me. Why dread? Why did I feel tired all the time? Why did I just want to lay in bed? Why was I moody and emotional? And then suddenly it hit me. This is the first September I've ever experienced in my entire life without my mom. This is the first time I've ever had a birthday month without my mom. And suddenly, everything that I used to love about the changing of the season just felt empty and void. And in that hollow moment of hopelessness, a panic set in. Because if this is how I felt at the beginning of the fall, what was that going to mean for the rest of the holiday season? What was I going to do? How was I going to get through the next four months of celebrations and holiday parties? What would I do when I would be confronted with all of the memories? How was I not going to ruin the holidays for my kids and my husband? They still deserve to enjoy all the, the fun and the joy of the holidays, even if I just felt like withdrawing from everyone and from everything. I couldn't, I couldn't ruin it for them. So I determined I just have to pull myself together. I got to get it together this year. I got to be strong and muscle through. And so I tried. Last week, as I was preparing this message, I sat and I tried to remember the latter part of last year. I do remember, even though most of it was a blur, I do remember obsessing over my first Thanksgiving without my mom. I had never had to cook an entire turkey in my whole life. 
And so I obsessed over every element of that meal. I have this uh, saying that my husband and my kids, they hear this a lot from me. I say, cooking is coping. When life feels out of control for me, you'll find me in the kitchen. Uh, Cooking is coping. And that is how I coped last year. I made enough food last Thanksgiving for 42 people, (laughs) even though it would only be the four of us around the table. (laughs) It was ridiculous how much food I made. And then Christmas came, pandemic Christmas. Y'all remember Christmas last year? Here at Grace Church, all of our services throughout the entire month of December were online. And I can't begin to describe to you how much work that was. It felt like I had been clenching my fists and holding my breath for four months, September, October, November, December. And when Christmas Eve night finally came and I got home and took off my makeup and put on my pajamas, I just fell apart. It was an ugly cry. I felt accomplished. I did it. I had muscled through. I had pushed through my year of firsts. First birthday, first Thanksgiving, first Christmas without my mom, and all during a global pandemic. And now it was over, and I could move on. And so I tried. Smash cut to nine months later, to September of this year. I'm just living my life getting ready to start feeling joy over all of my favorite fall things, when out of nowhere that terrible but now familiar feeling of dread set in all over again. And I thought, no, this can't be happening. This can't be happening. I went through all of this last year. I thought I got this out of the way. I I made it through my year of firsts. I pushed through, and I'm on the other side now. And it was at that moment that this quirky image came to my mind. I don't know uh, about the rest of you. (laughs) If you think in terms of memes or images, I do. For me, pictures often help me uh, express my feelings better than words do, uh, even if it is a little bit humorous. But yeah, that, that was me. I could sense, I could feel that grief was lying in wait right behind me, ready to ambush. Only this time, grief was bigger and stronger. It's as though my grief had been over in a corner somewhere, just lifting weights, getting jacked, waiting for fall to arrive, waiting for the wind to change. The cool air of September brought with it every sad memory of my mom's final days. The last holidays that we shared together, Thanksgiving was our last holiday together. Reminders of all that I'd lost. And I was frustrated to the point of angry. Is this just how it it is now? This is just what the holidays are like now? Will it be like this forever? Will I ever experience the joy of my favorite season ever again? And what on earth was it going to take to get me through the holidays again this year? Matthew 5 verse 4 said, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. These are scriptures that we often hear associated with deep sadness, with grief. And while these passages might be immediately comforting to some, 
For others, like myself, they may require some wrestling. And can I tell you, it's okay to wrestle with the scriptures. It's okay. Like, what do you mean God blesses those who mourn? I don't, I don't feel blessed right now. Where are my blessings? Or what do you mean God rescues those whose spirits are crushed? Can't he see that I am like dust on the inside? Where is my rescue? And if that's you, if you are brokenhearted right now, if your spirit has been crushed, I want you to stay with me because I want to tell you that Jesus, the consoler, the encourager, the comforter, Jesus sees us grieving. He sees you grieving. And he wants to grieve with you. And he will comfort you and he will give you courage. And he will carry you. He'll carry us through all the pain that we're feeling in this season. But we can't shut him out. We've got to prepare him room. Yes, even in our grief, we have to prepare him room. Let the God of all comfort come near and keep watch over you, and yes, even grieve with you. Ever close, God, abide with me. That's been my prayer throughout my season of grief. Just abide with me. Abide with me. This week we're talking about surviving the holidays when you or when someone you love is experiencing grief. And admittedly, I'm not an expert on the subject. And my own experience with grief does not make me an expert on the subject because we all grieve very differently. Very few of you will experience grief in the same way that I have. Probably even fewer of you will grieve in terms of Jason Momoa memes. That's a Marin thing, I do that. But we all grieve differently. Grief, the process of grieving, is as unique to the individual as it is universal. It's inevitable. We're all going to experience loss at some point in our lives. And if grief is something that we're all going to experience in one way or another, then I think it's appropriate for us to define what it is. Webster's Dictionary defines grief as deep sadness caused especially by someone's death. But pay pay attention to that word especially Because we we all associate grief usually with the death of a loved one, but really any loss can cause someone to feel grief. Divorce can cause grief. The loss of a relationship or a friendship, selling the family home, moving far away, a, a change of any kind, loss of your own physical health. I can't do the things I used to be able to do. Loss of normal or whatever normal means to you. The loss of a job, loss of a pet, a miscarriage. All of these things can cause grief. Grief is an emotional response to loss, and it's natural, and it can manifest itself in many different ways. Profound sadness is what we think of usually when we hear the word grief. But there's also shock and guilt. There's despair or hopelessness. There's anger or frustration, a frustrating feeling of helplessness. One of the things that I was surprised to learn about grief, one thing that I really didn't understand until I did, was that grief is more than just an emotional response to loss. There are physical aspects 
of grieving as well. There are things that our bodies experience when we grieve, things like difficulty sleeping, lowered immunity, <laughs> loss of appetite. That one took me for a loop because I love to eat and I could eat all day. But in the earliest days of my grief, nothing tasted good. Even my favorite foods were gross to me. Grief impacted my senses. I had no sense of taste, no hunger. And because of that, weight loss is often a physical side effect of grief. Or for some people, it's different. For some people, it's weight gain, fatigue, aches and pains, just a few of the physical side effects of grief. But there's another way that grief can have a profound effect on our bodies and our minds, and that is mental fog. I'm gonna show you something that's very personal. What you're about to see is a picture of what mental fog looks like in real time. Early January of 2020, 18 days after my mom passed, I woke up, I went downstairs to make my coffee, I had been scheduled to record an episode of the podcast, um, Grace Church podcast between Sundays later that afternoon. And I saw on my phone that Tyler had appropriately canceled the podcast for that day. And inwardly, I was all indignant. Why did he have to cancel? I didn't tell him to cancel. He, he doesn't know how I'm feeling right now. We, I have to move on, right? I've got to get my head in the game so he doesn't have to cancel. And as I went to make my coffee, I can't really describe what happened next other than I must have blacked out or spaced out just momentarily because, well, you, you'll see, it's embarrassing. My kitchen is a mess. My coffee bar is a mess. Somebody's clothes are on the floor of my kitchen. This is what grief looked like in my home, January of 2020. But I'm so glad that I took this video and I texted it to Barry and Tyler to say, you know what, maybe you're right, maybe I'm not ready. Take a look. When I saw that Tyler had canceled the podcast, I thought, why? I can totally do the podcast this week. Let's just do it. So I got up, today's another day, to make my coffee. I needed to just come over here and grab a spoon. And so I grabbed a spoon and I came over here to the coffee and I literally went like this before I realized I was lighting a lighter and not grabbing a spoon. So maybe you're right, maybe it's just not time and clearly I'm not ready. I wasn't ready. <laughs> I was not ready. That's, that's what mental fog looked like for me. It was as though grief had scrambled my thoughts and I can laugh about it now. But at the time, it was kind of scary. Like, what's wrong with me? I stood there with a lighter in my coffee mug. I was making weird mistakes like that a lot in those early days of my grief. Mental fog. The experts say the more significant the loss, the more intense your grief will be. Pastor Larry McCarthy Jr. of the Moody Church in Chicago put it this way. He said, grief is the evidence of how significant the relationship is. Grief is the evidence of how significant the relationship is. And it's true. Listen, if you or if somebody that you know has experienced loss, they can expect 
to experience grief in one way or another. Maybe all of these things, maybe just one of these things, but they can expect, expect to experience grief. And don't be afraid of it when it comes. Don't be afraid of what's happening to you. Grief is not something to be feared. Grief is something to be felt. Don't be afraid to feel if you're grieving this holiday season. Go ahead and give yourself the license to feel all of the feelings, sad, angry, even glad. Do you know that it's okay to feel glad sometimes even though you're grieving? Just because you feel glad doesn't mean that you're not grieving. Feel the feelings. David Kessler, a well-known lecturer on death and grieving once said, the worst loss is always yours. The worst loss is always your loss. And that's incredibly important for us to grasp. We need to stop comparing our grief to other people's grief. I was doing that. I lost my mom and I'm grieving, but I had her in my life for 30 some odd years. When this mother just buried her teenage son. So who am I to feel the way I feel when her grief is so much worse? No, this is not a contest. And it's not a comparison game. The worst loss is the loss that you are feeling because it's your loss. As we head into the holiday season, I want you to hear me. Whatever your situation, whatever your grief, your loss matters to God. Your sorrow matters to God. Your grief matters to God. And I want to say it a different way because I feel like some of us need to hear it this way. Your loss still matters to God. Your sorrow still matters to God and your grief still matters to God because you matter to God. There's no statute of limitations on grief. There's no time limit. Experts say it can take 18 to 24 months before a person even starts to heal when they've experienced a significant loss. Not 18 to 24 months and then they're done and they're healed. No, the average person will take 18 to 24 months before they can even begin to heal when they've suffered a significant loss. And so if you're grieving right now, if you're going into the holidays with a heavy burden of grief, be patient with yourself, okay? Be patient with yourself. You're not crazy. You're not weak. You are not faithless. You're grieving. And Jesus, the consoler, the encourager, the comforter, he sees you grieving and he wants to grieve with you. You're never alone. You're never alone. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to start at verse 36. It's a familiar passage of scripture to, to many of us. It's going to be page 825 if you're using the house Bible. Matthew 26, starting with verse 36. And as always, as you're turning there or maybe you're looking it up on the Grace Church app, I want to welcome you who are joining us online this morning or maybe it's not this morning. Maybe it's later in the week. Maybe it's sometime next year. Regardless, thank you for choosing 
to be here. And to those of you who are here in the room, man, it does me so good to see your faces. Thank you for being here. I know that this is a a difficult subject for many of us, but I want you to know that it comforts my heart when I get to look out and see your faces, when I get to hear your voices as we worship. It's just good. Good to be together. So Matthew 26, it's a familiar passage of scripture. It's this passage. It's, uh, it's famous. Lots of you have seen that, that image or some variation of that image before. Jesus was praying in the garden and he knew that his betrayal was moments away and that this would set into motion all of the events that would lead to his brutal execution, to his crucifixion. This moment, Jesus kneeling in the garden, this was his moment of dread. This was Jesus' moment of anguish and intense grief. Read with me in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, He became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here, stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and and bowed with his face to the ground praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest, but look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up. Let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. I think it's remarkable It's remarkable that in his darkest hour, Jesus wanted his friends, Peter and James and John, to be close by. When his soul was crushed with grief to the point of death, he said, stay here and keep watch with me. He knew that he had to go and cry out to his father and he could have done that alone. He could have done that in seclusion, but he didn't. He wanted his friends to stay close by and to keep watch with him. There's this word I kept coming across as I was preparing this message about grief. We read it once already in Matthew 5, verse 4. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Comforted. The Greek word that gives us the word comforted in this message is parakaleo. Parakaleo means to call alongside, to encourage, or to console, or to comfort. It's actually made up of two Greek words that are put together. The word para, or we would say para, like 
paraprofessional or, or paramedic. The word para means close beside. And kaleo is the other word. It means to call or to make a call. And we're not talking about making a phone call. That's, that's not what that means, of course. In ancient cultures and in some cultures today, to call on somebody means to pay them a visit. So think of the second part of that word, the, the kaleo part, as meaning to call near or, or close up and personal. That gives us a much more accurate understanding of the word comforted in that scripture. God blesses those who mourn because they will be parakaleo. They will be called close beside the God of the universe. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's close and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The story of Jesus in the garden, fully God and fully man, just wanting his friends to be close by and to stay alert and be with him in his suffering, I believe that that's a beautiful picture of the kind of friend that Jesus wants to be to us in our darkest hours, in our moments of deepest sadness and grief. He promises to be with us, to come close. Jesus, the Lord, is close to the brokenhearted. He blesses those who mourn. He comforts. He encourages. And I'm not talking about some Hallmark card, you know, sympathy card kind of encouragement. I'm talking about the actual meaning of the word encouragement, to fill with courage. So that while I'm down here walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not have to fear. I don't have to fear. Why? Because he is with me. He's with me. Oh, abide with me, Jesus. Abide with me. God blesses those who mourn because they will be parakaleo. They will be comforted and filled with courage as the God of the universe draws near to their side to sit with them, to abide with those who mourn, to keep watch over them. And unlike his tired friends in the garden, Jesus, our comforter, will neither slumber nor will he sleep. Psalm 121 The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers. He never sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. So abide with me. Abide with me. Abide with me, Jesus. I want to do things differently this year. I have a better plan than I did last year. A better plan than just clenching my fists and muscling through. I'm going to prepare him room. I'm going to make room for him, not just in my holiday joys, but also in my sorrows. I'll make room for him to share my grief with me because he is that kind of friend. This year I won't shut myself away in my bedroom and cry alone. I'll shut myself away in my bedroom and I'll cry because I will be grieving and I'm gonna give myself the license to feel, but I won't cry alone. I will cry with him. I will cry out to him the way that Jesus cried out to his own father. I'll cry out 
to him, knowing that he is close, he is near to my own broken heart. And as for my friends, the Peters and the Jameses and the Johns in my life, I know that they will mean well, even if they can't quite grasp what I'm going through. It's okay. I'm still going to invite them to pray over me and to pray with me and for me. But my hope is not in my friends. My hope is not even in my family. My hope is in the one who said he would never slumber or sleep. My hope is in the one who said he'd never leave me or forsake me. He is there. And looking over last year, I realized that that's the part that I missed in all of my efforts to just muscle through, to stay as busy as I could, to wake me up when December is over. I missed out on the blessing of true comfort. It makes me think of the old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, right? All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. And most of y'all know I'm a singer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. How can I not sing it? Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we did not carry everything to God in prayer. So what are you grieving this year? What have you lost? Who are you grieving this year? Or who do you know around you that is grieving that may need you to be Jesus to them? To pay them a visit. To be near to them and to bear witness to their pain. Just to keep watch with them and pray. To give them courage to face the holidays. To face all the days. I know not all of us are experiencing grief right now, but we may know someone who is. Be Jesus to them. Be Jesus to each other. Jesus, the consoler, the encourage, the encourager, the comforter. He sees you grieving, so don't shut him out. He wants to grieve with you in your darkest hours and he will comfort you and he will give you courage and he'll carry you through the pain you feel. Prepare him room in your joy and in your sorrow this holiday season. Take everything to him in prayer for the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He comforts those who mourn. The Lord himself watches over you and he will abide with you. Let him abide with you. Let every heart prepare him room and his peace will guard your heart and your mind. He will be your calm in the chaos. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your abiding presence. I thank you for these promises that we have read in your word. Help us to understand them more and more that you are close to the brokenhearted. 
that you are a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Oh God, for those of us who need to know that, would you do that even now? Draw near to them, God, in their grief. Give them the courage, God, to turn that grief over to you and to weep with you and to mourn with you and to not hide these things from you. Give them the courage to feel the feelings and bring about healing, God. You are our comforter. You are hope in a hopeless situation. You are our strength. You said your grace is sufficient for us. I thank you, good shepherd. I thank you, Holy Spirit. I thank you for drawing close. I thank you for the calm that you bring, for the peace that you bring in the storm. Lord, speak, speak, speak to each one of us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.